Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don as usual, and we're coming back to you with another Q&A episode. We're going to be going through the questions on the Curious Cat and uh, seeing what you guys have for us. Yeah, I thought, you know, we just do a sort of laid back episode and just chat about some things that people asked us and stuff. So I'll dive right in. So the first one is, uh, hey, Tom and Don, I finally have enough saved for a down payment on a house, but I'm not sure if settling down in the U.S. is a great idea right now. It seems like everything is going to shit, and I wonder if I should be looking into leaving the country instead. I have savings but no real skills, so that may not be a viable option anyway. Am I being too dramatic? Hmm. Well, I, th- I think that's a good thing to be thinking about. A little bit. That's an interesting situation to have money for a down payment on a house and no skills. So, well, I think what they probably <laughs> mean is that they've been chipping away at a job that they don't really feel invested in and yeah, saving up a bit of money. Probably, but yeah, uh, like not that. really, you know, that committed to it as a career or something. So, sure. yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, it's it's not really a good time for jumping overseas in terms of like uh, looking for a specific job that if you don't have skills, like you know, like when the unemployment rate is relatively low in other places, you can just kind of do service work or whatever, and or teach English and stuff. But I feel like right now, I mean. We have to be talking about the next few years or something, I guess, right? Because it's mm. like, because of quarantine and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, uh, the first thing I'd say is that like a house, you, you probably want to wait until you're ready to invest for at least like three to five years minimum or something, right? Like you wouldn't want to just jump in right away if you don't feel like you're going to live in the same place for a pretty long period of time, you know? Because it's just, there's like, you know, thousands of dollars of costs of just like the lawyers and all that stuff that just uh, you don't want to throw away basically just for a short-term investment or something. Um, and that's what you have to kind of think about it as is like, a, you know, long-term kind of investment. But, and the other thing is though, I think people will be giving you a lot of advice about the market timing and all that kind of thing, right? Like they'll say, Oh, uh, right now is a great time to buy because the economy is not doing that great or whatever, or, you know, or they might be like, Oh, don't buy right now. I would not worry about that as much, especially because if you're asking us kind of thing, I don't know, like it's not like <laughs> you're not like probably like sitting on half a million dollars that you're looking to put into play, but like, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I would probably maybe lean against buying a house, but I would probably also lean against worrying too much about going overseas uh, at the same time. I don't know. Although I think both Tom and I have this impulse of wanting to, you know. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, Canada is a bit different because the you know we've got health insurance here, so that's a big thing for me. Uh, in addition to other things, but like uh, if that were not the case, or if it was like I was moving somewhere where that was not, you know, that wasn't the biggest worry because they have it public health care there too. You know, I would, you know, it, I would not be, uh, you know, aiming at staying. Right. And yeah, that's like just, a plus yeah. for me, right? Like to yeah. move somewhere that does have that kind of stuff. The yeah. question did say like moving out of the US to say that specifically. Yeah, they were they were kind of ambiguous about about uh settling down in the US right now and they said, okay. you know, they were thinking about leaving the country but they don't know if they have the skills to kind of hack it. Yeah. Um as far as that goes, I mean, 
what you were saying about the actual investment of a house makes a lot of sense. I think it, if I were in that kind of position, I would probably just wait until the Corona stuff is sort of settled down a little bit, like give it a year at least. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, you know, I grew up overseas. Uh, it sort of is something that seems very like appealing and, uh, it's always like an option in my mind in some way. And I've been able to like, just, you know, fly somewhere and make it work before. So sure. yeah, all that doesn't seem so crazy to me, but it is, you know, that's not always necessarily going to work out. And if it doesn't work out, that could go pretty badly. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I would say wait and like keep your options open and stuff uh, right now. It doesn't seem like a good time to be making any kind of long-term decisions basically. Yeah. Well, well also, you know, recognizing that we do know it is annoying to have a landlord. Like, it's not like, you know, like I understand that there is benefits of home ownership beyond the investment, but like, yeah, I would not probably worry about that at this point. So yeah. Just kill them, right? That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's not, yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe we'll move right into the next question. Um, sure. Back on the religious bent stuff. Uh, so it's, did Jesus believe he was divine? I've seen claims that Jesus' divinity was invented later on to appeal to the Gentiles. Um, so, no, yeah. someone's trying to drive a wedge between us here. I know. I thought that was supposed to be a good one to get into because uh, it would be, you would have uh, maybe differing opinions on this. But, like, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I always joke about this because, in a lot of ways, like a lot of recent documentaries, you know, just if you watch like a PBS documentary about this, it's going to be something like a British guy talking about how Jesus was invented in the 17th century or something, you know, like just <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like a, just a totally irrelevant to the actual history or, you know, or, you know, there is this big kind of push uh, within sort of liberal theology to try to push that kind of idea of, uh, just a guy kind of thing like buddy jesus kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. um and uh which is it's funny because uh i know that like you know there is that overlap there of that at least basic fact with islam or whatever right because of the you know yeah there is like there's that sort of minimal part but it's not like it's not the same because right special rules and it's not like really uh, overstate how you know, because they're used to that buddy Jesus sort of thing that you're talking about when people hear yeah. like, oh, Islam doesn't consider uh, Jesus to be God, then they kind of just fill in the blanks with all that. And it's really not like that. You know, like we we have a lot of reverence for Jesus and there's miracles and there's a lot of stuff that we uh, share with like Christian beliefs. So, yeah. yeah, it's somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, to be specific for uh, in the Christian thing, I think the the, the question has to end up being uh, was were the stories in the Bible changed or you know fabricated at a certain point later on, you know within the first hundred two hundred years, so that they included stuff about uh, that the Son of God and all that kind of stuff because because there's a lot of stuff like that in the Bible itself, so mm-hmm. it, you know it points to that. So there is this sort of tradition of uh, people saying that that was not really his true message and all that, which is fine. That's not like, I'm not, you know, that's their opinion on that. But like, uh, 
it's different than, you know, the, the actual claim in the Bible or something separate than that. Right. So, um, like the, 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 as it was, you know, accepted in tradition. So yeah, you either have to have some sort of claim of that it was corrupted in some way, the message was corrupted, you know, or just disbelieving it, like obviously otherwise, right? Like, so there are also people probably that come close to, you know, the, you know, believing that the tradition was invented, but then are kind of like, well, Jesus was just a cool guy who was inspired by the divine or something. And then, you know, other people sort of copied that kind of in different ways. Like, you know, I mean, people throughout history have kind of modeled that, like the Buddha or whatever, you know. So uh, that that I think is pretty popular in more, like, really liberal traditions maybe. Like, I think the Unitarians probably believe something close to that or something, you know. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it, I don't think that it was invented probably as a, I feel like his early followers believed that message or whatever so and um i mean obviously you have to kind of believe that to like for the thing i think but like uh i don't think that it was part of you know their you know if yeah so i think that so i think that he had to have believed it based on what they said but to answer the question directly it's just that yeah i don't i yeah so anyways i think that that kind of whole thing is you know, wrapped all together, whatever. Like, it's not like, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. Okay. There's, there's a few, uh, few things that I have, that this made me think about, I guess. Um, from my understanding, there were a variety of different, like, uh, sects of Christians in the early days, like from the, like, this, let's say the first 200 years or so. Mm-hmm. And they had, uh, debates about the nature of, christ right like i think that's pretty yeah firmly established I, I, right like am i wrong about that no that's right yeah so some of those people believe that he was divine and some of those people did not and there was a kind of all sorts of different nuanced various takes on that right so certainly we can say that the idea that he was divine did not come about as a uh, like a later development just like manufactured Right. Like, I think that's what you were getting at. I would agree with that. Um, But I also don't think that's the case with the idea that he was not right. Like there were people very early on that also believed that. Uh, So I think whatever your uh, particular beliefs about it are, you can probably find something pretty close to that from some group, from some Mm -hmm. early Christian group. So, yeah. I, I don't think there's any sort of uh, grounds to kind of talk about like weird little conspiracies about like that have completely warped uh, Christian theology over the course of time. As far as the like what is stated in the Bible and I kind of disagree with what you what I think you were saying that you sort of need to either just disbelieve it or um, say that it was corrupted because I think like if we're talking about claims to being son of God, I think that is a matter of interpretation. Uh, I think you can take that in a, you know, in the very, like the typical sort of sense, the orthodox sense, um, like orthodox in the sense of, uh, you know, what the, what the church says and what, um, you know, most Christians would say about what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, that to me is not a really, there's a lot of ways to read that, especially when you uh, understand that that 
term has some history that predates Jesus himself. He, he wasn't like the first person to use that terminology. There. Um, from what I understand, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar. I could be totally wrong. I'm just trying to share what I understand to be the case. So I, I, I from what I understand, there have been mentions like that, either in the Old Testament or in other um, texts from the Hebrew tradition, uh, referring to like children of God, son of God. Like that term is not something that necessarily implies divinity of the person who's saying like i am that you know so i wouldn't i wouldn't take that to be a uh to like if if we only have that i wouldn't say that that necessarily means like oh well look he's claiming to be god here you know well i mean the 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 complication is that most of the new testament like is written in a way like you you can say that i think you can say that like the new testament was somehow uh, incorrect about Jesus's basic message in some way, but I think that the actual text has like a lot of like letters and things in it that talk pretty directly about uh, you know the idea of sacrifice for sins and all that kind of stuff through Jesus's like like there's the whole issue of just like the cross and stuff right like you can't have you you have to have there has to be some reason why they were all writing about this particular story of him getting uh, executed and then resurrected or whatever. Right. So, I mean, that's just sure. But again, there's no, that's not a direct claim of, of his, like he, that's not him saying I am God. Right. I I think that's basically the, the, the issue that a lot of people have. And to me, that's, that's pretty, I feel like if something was that important, to understand that it would be very clear, and it, to me, it's not clear. Like in, but, in the scripture that exists, it's just not as clear as it as it ought to be. If if that's the real message, but he does talk about himself as being the message himself uh, throughout. Like he says, like I am, you know, I am the way or whatever. I am the okay. Way to all nations. So, sure. Yeah. Well, I would point to like there's similar not not the exact same saying but there's similar ways of understanding uh, muhammad in islam that he like um his wife aisha said that he, uh his care like someone after he died someone asked him what what was he like and mm-hmm. she said that uh, his character was like a walking quran um and there, there's other things okay. like that that sort yeah. of indicate to me like that there's a lot of ways to read what is said about Jesus uh, and what Jesus says in the Bible and stuff like that, that uh, from an Islamic point of view, I see a lot of similarities between that and the way that we talk about uh, Muhammad. And so uh, I don't, I, and because we don't consider Muhammad God, we consider him a prophet and we also consider Jesus a prophet. I, I That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I kind of view it in that way. And I, um, I just I have I've never seen anything uh, that would like necessitate the claim that Jesus is God to be coming from the Scripture itself. But to me, that I mean, that's not necessarily where it has to be. You know, it sure. could, it, yeah. The text has changed over time. I don't think that's you know re- really in dispute. I think that's like pretty like the church itself like is open about that. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's like been corrupted in that sense. That's a very common belief among Muslims. I don't know enough to come down either way on that, but I don't, I have no reason to believe that unless like I've, I have evidence that that is the case. Right. Sure. And I've heard scholars talk about like that, you know, we can read the Bible as 
as not being like some sort of like corrupted text. Like we can have our Muslim theology read the Bible and then agree with what it says there. There's even though uh, people often point to things in the Quran that talk about ways that uh, previous communities have changed their texts. It's written, it's uh, stated in a way that doesn't necessarily mean that they have like doctored, you know, added things in or whatever. It, It could mean that they, read something and then misinterpreted it or yeah or bent it in a certain way and stuff like that so Um, there would i mean there would have to still be some confusion or corruption or something happening uh within his followers say after the writing of the bible but before because within the next few hundred years i mean they a lot of the basic sort of creeds were written that were explicitly like you know at the very least, right, before sure. the advent of Islam or whatever. Like yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, they're definitely, I mean, but that's that's just like historical fact, right? That there was yeah. a lot of debate about that, and it eventually came down to like what the Council of Nicaea that determined that, or was that just the Trinity? That was, yeah, I think that was more uh, the substance of Christ. That's not like it's like the because then the issue becomes whether or not. Uh, he's fully human and fully divine and things like that. Okay, so, gotcha. Which, I, I know there were much councils more prior to that. Though, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, those and those ones had already, they were much more, um, like, so yeah, like I think I think there's a, the divine part is, uh, I think it's it's complex itself, right? So it's, uh, it's not, yeah, I think, you know, because there, there's different takes on that, which are not the same as, you could still think that he has a special mission and all that and as part of the Christian cr- tradition and not thinking. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not about, like, I'm trying to think of uh, well, how well, that would play out. Like, yeah. there's, there's um, like, Muslims affirm that Jesus is the word of God, and the Quran says that. And, it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I know that for Christians, that is sort of part of his divinity, right? Like, he being the word of God is like part and parcel of, of bearing that kind of like divine nature, right? Something yeah. along those lines. Mm-hmm. So like for, for us, we, we don't see that as um, necessary, you know, being sure. to, to be uh, the claim to being the word of God and, and God saying that about him doesn't mean that he is God, you know? So um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think this goes a little bit, uh, above our pay grade in terms of sure, history sure. And, yeah. and theological understanding and <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But it is kind of interesting to, uh, you know, to take a look at that. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny because I think this is probably one of the most obvious dividing line issues in some degree. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, but oh, sure. it's also one that we're not like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like it's, it's funny because it's like, uh, I feel like the basic claims are almost even previous to this for both religions like like the the fact of god is more interesting than some of this more uh you know that's the most astonishing part and then you know the theology that comes after is more it's interesting and important but it's not like you know i don't know people fight about it too much in direct ways online i think so yeah yeah i agree i I mean i honestly think that there's um there's a lot of room for agreement in the sense that what what you guys view as his divinity we view as his like prophetic status in a sense yeah and the difference between those things when it comes down to it like in the sense of 
what does that mean for me? You know, what does that mean for me as like a, just a regular person is, sure. is really like, there's not too much difference. Yeah. Um, now I th- there yeah. is a big difference in certain ways, like in terms of what do you worship, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I tend to think, um, that a lot of Christians when they like pray to God, I think they're praying to God. You know, I don't think they're praying to like, a guy that they just think like is just a guy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, sure. Yeah. You know, exactly. I don't want to get into anyone's head and, and assume anything, but like, I'm going to yeah. assume the best and not just assume sure. that people are like, you know, I don't, I don't think you guys are Hindus basically. What I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So we'll move on to, uh, um, it's much more divisive question. <laughs> um, are samurais, are you sorry? Are samurai, I guess that's the plural. Are samurai idiots for unquestioningly following their masters? Well, I, I don't know. What's the consequences if they don't? Oh, they get killed immediately. Well, that seems like a smart move then. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and if their masters die, they have to kill themselves. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I feel like this, it was probably like a social Darwinist kind of thing, you know, where like, uh, you know, if you've got committed people fighting for you, you're much more likely to win no matter what else is going on a lot of the time and, uh, and trained people and all that. So I think that like, it's like a Darwinist thing almost where, uh, if you're, if you're the one that has the lackeys that are going to be highly trained and highly dedicated then uh, you're probably going to basically, you know, go viral and become the dominant mode of security or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, it's like they're Japanese, you know, that's just how they do things. I feel like that whole country is homeschooled. You know what I mean? They're all just a little (laughs) bit, (laughs) a little bit like that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I find that stuff about Japan pretty funny. The stuff about like... uh, you know, there was in the eighties. There was a lot of talk about like their management style and all that. That mm. and uh, and it was like, it's so funny to look back at it because it was all of it was written as if up until the early nineties, all of it was written as Japan's taking over everything. You know, Japan yeah. rising and all that. And uh, the reasons why they gave were things like if you work for Toyota or something, right? I guess it's Toyota. Toyota's Japan. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you work for Toyota, uh, you uh, when you go home, you you still think about ways to improve your workplace. Like if you're at home and you're working for Toyota, you're like, man, we could like fix this, and then you would, you know, the process improvement, whatever, would be two uh, percent better or something. So I'll go tell the boss about that tomorrow or something. And the idea was that American workers, they, they show up to work and they don't care about it. So they're just unionized guys, whatever, doing their thing. And then they go home and they're like, work sucks, whatever. That was like the whole theory. And uh, um, it's funny because that was like, you know, they, they did the management systems and all that, rolled it all out over the United States and did all these things that like tried to build productivity by being like, you have to, you know, we want everyone to participate. We want everyone to stuff like that. You know, like that was like the big thing. And uh, then like for like the next decade, Japan's economy just completely <laughs> like froze basically. It just was not doing well. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, I find that really funny because it's like, I find that I, I keep thinking that when I see uh, the China stuff, 
you know like sure. uh, it's like china's a bit different because it, it has the intuitive thing of well they've got over a billion people so they kind of have to do well but right. um you know i don't know so i use that logic to say that like africa should be next or something so um and uh so we'll see yeah i'm be. i'm I'm going to actually, I'll, I'll segue into the next question then. And it's, uh, is there a chance industry outsourced to China starts making its way back to the U S so what do you think about that? I don't know about these kinds of questions. <laughs> um, like, are we going to start getting like manufacturing back in the U S I don't see any indication of that. Yeah, I guess uh, if it's not going to China, where would it go? Somewhere else, right? Like it wouldn't. It's not. Well, like haven't go... they been outsourcing stuff to like Vietnam yeah, yeah, yeah. and all yeah. that? So. Yeah, I think Vietnam was probably like ten years ago. I think I think yeah. it's already down the value chain other places. So yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there's ways to do it. They could do it, but it would just be basically subsidized in different ways, probably. You know, it's so bizarre to me how these huge industries when you like zoom in on like where they're extracting their resources and stuff it's some little african kid with a stick in a, a hole yeah. in the ground you know what i mean like it's so strange to me these billion dollar industries are dependent on that mm-hmm. yeah and uh, willing to do a lot to keep it that way too so yeah yeah um yeah, it, it's pretty bizarre, and uh, that's become a big issue in Canada recently because uh, all the mining and stuff is in Latin America. I think, other than the United States, Canada is the made like the number one mining company people in uh, Latin America. Like it's just a huge sector that we own, like a lot of it, and uh, as you can imagine, they're not, you know, that pleasant towards union organizers and all that. So, yeah. I don't know. People are trying to like make it so that the laws here apply to them in different ways. But I don't know. That's kind of an uphill battle. But yeah. Yeah. I think the U.S. sort of missed the boat on uh, maintaining manufacturing. Like, I don't know if this bears out. I really don't know much about this kind of stuff, but this is just how I think about it. It's like Germany has, um, you know, like car manufacturing, all that kind of stuff. And it's got strong uh labor representation it's like a high value product that they put out and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and we just sort of gave up on that and uh you know that that's what we needed to hold on to and we just didn't so i i don't see why it would just like come back and be like all right well you know they deserve it or something like we're not gonna we're not making moves to get it back and uh i don't think anyone's gonna give that up very easily i think they want it more so yeah i mean trump has done a fair amount to sort of like, you know, try to do that. I think in some respects, like the China um, tariffs and all that, but I don't, I don't think it's actually worked. Like, it's not like if you go into a Walmart, it's all American made stuff now or something, you know? So, yeah. Um, and I guess the idea would be that it would take a long time to get to, to that, but uh, you know, like it's gotta be a reversed process, but I don't see that. I don't know. You know, Unless unless the whole economy's changed in some way, right? Like unless they really, really aggressively make it so that things are made for, uh, you know, some Green New Deal thing or something. And even then, I mean, where are they going to get all the, you know, as you said, you know, chemicals and uh, minerals? So yeah, yeah. I thought I I thought I read this comment 
because it was uh, nice and um, it was a uh, hey T and D long time first time. I almost always listen to the regular and bonus episodes as soon as you release them, but I tend to always return to the Big Dave episodes. I'm sure you get asked regularly, but it would be awesome if you could make him a monthly or so guest, especially for the Patreon. A lot of his takes on being a professional guy, supporting a family, and trying to balance the act between everything else, gaming, Twitter, seem very topical for me and potentially other subscribers. He seems very candid in his appearances on the pod in a way that's unique to YCW. I'm sure he's busy, but I usually get a lot out of those episodes. Just a thought, guys. We'll keep listening regardless. So, cool. That's right. pleasant. Well, yeah. Yeah, people seem to like uh, the Big Dave episode, so yeah, we should definitely do more of that. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would follow up with this question from another person. Um, are you making an intentional statement by avoiding having any white guests on the show? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we've mainly had white guests on the show. I don't know. Maybe about 50-50. We'll see. I don't know. And I'm trying to think... You know, we haven't been too bad as far as, uh, like, racial diversity. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it was still too much for that guy that sends us racist <laughs> messages. <laughs> yeah. He sent us a bunch more, and it was, some of them were very cryptic, like poems about Hitler or something. And I don't know. I couldn't really parse a lot of those ones, so I didn't really uh, spend much time on them. But Yeah, yeah some, I did appreciate the poetry, though. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone found it from a live journal of yours 10 years ago or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're sending me a message. <laughs> um, okay. What do you think of jazz? I like some jazz. I used to be really into like uh, really like noisy free jazz and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I was kind of into like noise music and all that sort of like weirdo experimental stuff when I was younger. And I uh, did the old, like, music nerd research stuff and tried to, like, trace back, like, who were they influenced by and what influenced them and all that kind of stuff. And uh, a lot of the groups I was interested in were, like, had roots in jazz or they were influenced by jazz or and stuff like that. So kind of checked out some of those. And a lot of it I liked. A lot of it I, I didn't. Um, and then that got me more interested in little bit of other jazz i don't really listen to it a lot but uh during that period there was a lot of stuff that i found that i really liked um mingus is kind of an obvious one um Mm -hmm. that i enjoyed Uh, as far as like the the kind of noisy free jazz stuff that i liked uh, i liked albert ayler there's one he did about i think the star spangled banner or something like that that was pretty interesting um there was a german guy called peter brotzman or something like that that i liked yeah, I mean, and all the, you know, all the standard kind of like Miles Davis and mm-hmm. I like Phoenix Sanders a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about blues? Do you like blues? I do. I just don't listen to much of it. I haven't sure. heard a lot yeah. of it. Whenever I hear it, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But it's not something that I like would want to just sit around and listen to very much. Yeah. Um, I used to like John Fahey a lot, but that's kind of different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I used to listen to a lot of, there was like a, I think it was like Atlanta's Blue Society, Barstool Blues had like a free internet station. So I would just put that on for like all day while I was doing other stuff. Um, and then, you know, you know, just uh, they had like different ones when I 
would subscribe to different radio stuff, whatever after that. But uh, for jazz itself, I don't know. It's one of those things again where, yeah, I'm listening to it a bit and then I don't really get back to it ever. I don't, you know, like as soon as I'm not listening to it, I completely forget that I like it. Um, and then, uh, so it's probably like the music I know the least about. Um, but you know, as you said, like those kind of Miles Davis and all that kind of stuff is fine. Like I, you know, I like it, but it's just like, I don't know. I listen to a lot of like, uh, calming music kind of stuff just while I'm sleeping or something. And I usually put on stuff that's like, I don't know, like chill classical music or something kind of thing, you know, like I don't. I used to do the the blue stuff, but I just kind of never really, you know. I just always forget to get yeah. back into it. Or put something, on a so. chill lo-fi classical melodies. On <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I actually, I guess, I have a hot take for jazz. Come to think of it, I do not like John Coltrane. I've never liked anything I've heard from him. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is kind of a shame because there's like supposed to be this like link. To, for, with him to Islam or something, it seems oh, sort really? of. Uh, yeah, it seems it doesn't seem like a super str- like like there's there's like actual Muslim jazz musicians. I don't know why people focus on John Coltrane because he like, you know, I I, I don't even know what it what, what it's supposed to be, but. Um. Yeah, actually, who's the there's there's this one jazz musician I can't something Suleiman or something. That I really liked, and it, um, I was like, "Oh, cool! He's Muslim. That's neat." And... Mm-hmm. You ever you ever hear of a Moon Dog? No. That that's kind of fun. That that's that's good music. Mm-hmm. He was like a like a homeless guy um, in New York or something, and would just like pop up in around these like circles of musicians and stuff. And he just like he was like, "Wow, this is really good stuff." And he's kind of strange and and stuff, but not you know. Not in like an off-putting way. It's, it's just like he's very whimsical. He used to like dress sort of like a wizard and stuff like this. Like he's a little off, you know, in the head. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's really pleasant music. You actually might like it. Cool. Yeah, I'll make a note of that. Um, so the next one is when you were 15 years old, how did you think your life would turn out? I don't think I had very strong ideas about that. Mm-hmm. Were you like, I guess you had said that you were going to, you were thinking of going to college maybe like stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Like, I guess I like, was sort yeah. of assuming that was just going to happen. That was sort of like what all my friends were, were talking about and stuff. So I just kind of figured that's what I would end up doing. I guess I was into, I wanted to be a writer. I think that's something that I wanted to do like a, like a novelist or something like that. Um, but I, there was a lot of things like that, that I was like wanting to do, you know, like I, I was in, I was playing guitar, I was playing baseball, all those things seemed like things I wanted to like do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always understood like, those are not likely scenarios, you know, but it was always like, well, I got to like give things a shot, you know, like what's the point I, of, uh, just giving up and, and doing something that I don't want to do. I give these things a shot and. Yeah, obviously that didn't work out like that, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me it was like grade ten or something, I guess, and uh, I think this was like a, a like a transition year for me from being like, uh, you know, getting bad grades and stuff and a lot of things and not taking it seriously at all, to within the next year or so I was kind of like. You know, I assu- I assumed at that point after grade ten or whatever eleven grade le- grade eleven 
that uh, I was going to go to college. So in the last year or so of that, I was like just doing well enough, you know, like the next year or two, uh, I started doing well enough to get into college. Like just, that was my goal kind of thing. And, uh, but at that time, I think I was still in the in-between where I was like, school sucks, not like not going to take it seriously whatsoever, really. And uh, I just hated it. I just thought it was stupid in a lot of ways. But I enjoyed hanging out with people at school. Like That was like the, uh, I think that some of my friends were getting into like, or not like maybe directly, they, they were my friends before this. And then at this point, they were kind of spinning off into, you know, gangs, some of them and some of them into i was meeting new people and stuff or something like well i mean there were people that were like sort of in my cohort growing up that over that period of like those from those years on you know like late teens to early 20s and stuff uh, a lot of them like it was kind of like split into maybe two kind of not camps but like just like you know where a lot of them either became like the majority of people that i knew went on to get professional degrees basically you know like or they kind of spun out for a while kind of thing like in different ways and then maybe you know went back to school and did better later on or something but a lot of people kind of went in different directions and that was sort of like the first experience of that where some people kind of peeled off into you know like drugs and crime and stuff like that i guess kind of thing and uh um and, you know, at least that's how I experienced it that, that year maybe, or the year before that even. So I was kind of, I don't know, like, but I very much saw myself as a peer of the success track at that point. So I thought that like, I would, I thought, I, I just assumed that I would be at that point, I was more like just learning about what socialism was or something, even just at like a basic level. And so I kind of had this idea that I was going to, I started taking, like, I took an accounting course and I really liked it. And, uh, like, I just thought it was so fun and easy kind of thing. And that kind of helped turn me around a bit on that kind of stuff. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll just do this then. So I started taking accounting and my original plan was I was going to, uh, go to university for business in accounting while being like sort of pseudo leftist, young leftist kind of thing. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, do that. And then, uh, within the next few years after that, I started, getting into like, you know, the libertarian kind of stuff and reading about politics. And I was like, oh, I'll just become, I'll just go to school for politics then. And uh, I still had this idea that I was like, it was the same kind of mentality of like petty bourgeois kind of mentality or something where you're like, I'm going to just walk into a policy job or something and do really well at school and, uh, and just like do that. And then, yeah, I kind of, yeah. But at this point too, this was like the very, very early point where like my mental state started deteriorating a bit kind of thing. So, uh, um, anyways, it just, uh, it was a very confusing time for, as it is for many people. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really all I can remember about that for myself too, is it just being kind of confused. I mm -hmm. never really found the thing that I really liked, which I, is why I think I had these ideas of like, I'll be a writer, I'll, I'll play baseball, I'll, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause those were like my hobbies, you know, those were like the things that I was interested in outside of school. And I think that was about the age when I kind of turned away from like applying myself in school and getting good grades and realizing that like, Oh, I'll just apply the, the minimum I need to get by and then apply myself outside to the things I'm actually interested in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 16 was when I, 
started getting into like weed and things like that. So that's really when I, I don't think I was thinking long-term at all at that point. So like 15, maybe the last year before. Yeah. It was like a transitional phase, I guess, from like little kid that doesn't really know what's going on to like hitting, hitting a wall where it's like, Oh, I'm not just like moving forward automatically anymore. And then like kind of not, um, not handling it well, I guess. Yeah. Mm Hmm. I think I hit that wall sort of over that next few years too, but uh, uh, especially when I I got to uh, school and I really, I really, really, you know, came to sort of grips with the idea that like I really didn't want to do a lot of the stuff that I thought I did kind of thing in terms of policy and stuff. I just found it really, anyways, it was just a very strange period for that kind of stuff. But especially because, I mean, you know, it's silly, but the the news at the time, my first, my, 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 I think that like the second day of like the second day of the week of the second year I was in school or something like the Tuesday was nine eleven, um. So that was really like, you know, I it 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 helped kind of you know, and then the Iraq War and stuff like that over the next few years and stuff. So I really started thinking more about that kind of stuff. And you know, I at the time I was in conservative party and stuff and talking to people about that kind of thing and um it was so crazy to me that like, I was just, you know, I was like, I'm not doing that. So, yeah, I'm not going to keep going down that road. Although it's kind of funny because I feel like I'm kind of, um, pivoting back a bit on that kind of thing, especially because I like listening to, you know, Matt Brunick's podcast and stuff and reading his policies things and start talking more to economists a bit again. And there is that sort of lane there of people that just, you know, tear apart the arguments of uh, the more mainstream policy people and stuff. And I think like that's something I would probably find fun if I had very full control over it and was very careful about what I did and stuff, you know. Um, So we'll see. Maybe I'll end up, you know, doing policy stuff and being leftish or whatever. And just as I kind of pretty much expected, I guess, I don't know, when, when I was 15. So, yeah. Yeah. And I still haven't figured out like how <laughs> to get past yeah, yeah, that yeah. wall. Uh, I figured out something that is uh, kind of just like what was in school, easy to do. Like, uh, don't doesn't spend doesn't take up all my day, pays the bills. I'm fairly comfortable with it, all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, I just apply myself outside of work. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I, I sorted that out early on, and I just haven't moved past it. Hmm. Um, uh, this was a odd one, so I thought I would ask it. Uh, what do you think of Chinese dragons for that matter? What do you think of dragons in general as symbols of power or wealth? How might dragons tie into religion? Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it is kind of interesting though. Like the, the, so I took this class in university that was about like the supernatural, supernatural and the monstrous in uh, the mm-hmm. medieval ages. Yeah. In the medieval period in Europe. And uh, it was kind of interesting just to see, like, to read the actual, like, the the primary sources that we do have that talk about this kind of stuff and, and to try to see, like, how did they actually think about these things. Um, but we didn't read anything about dragons, so I don't have anything specific to that to really offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know, that, that kind of stuff is interesting to me. Uh, did you play the Dragonborn version of Skyrim 
Oh yeah, sure. I never actually so. got to any of the content in that DLC though. As much as I oh, played really? Skyrim, I've, I've I've gotten like maybe uh, one third of the way into the main quest line. I've never finished it. I've never gotten to the end game. Uh, oh, okay. I thought that that was early on. Like, don't you fight dragons pretty early on in that game, or? Well, and, is isn't Dragonborn uh, sort of like uh, after the end of the main quest? Oh, okay. You, you sort yeah. of have this other place you go to, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. So is that like the island or something that you go to? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, I got to that point, but I didn't. Uh, I thought that like the whole thing about like just meeting and fighting dragons was the DLC, but I guess that doesn't make sense. So yeah. No, yeah, that's the game. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So. So that was kind of fun. I don't know. They like swoop around and stuff and you zap them. I don't know. That's fun. Yeah. I, I like that they're like intelligent in the uh, Skyrim, like the Elder Scrolls universe. It's fun that they like just talk and they have like personalities. They're not just like screeching lizards and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I remember uh, when I used to play like rifts or whatever or like read, read the books whatever all the different rpg things and like dungeons and dragons and stuff um i used to think that the dragons were pretty cool but but i remember uh, two of my friends one time i was hanging out with them and they had very very little interest little interest in the books like they thought that this was not cool and uh, i really really wanted people that would take it seriously to play with so i said okay I'll, we'll like roll up characters and they humored me and the only thing really that they would accept were uh, dragons that were invincible to anything. Okay. And, which is like the least fun way to play an RPG, I guess, kind of thing. Is like I have all powers and I can do anything and I can't die kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, so as soon as they were done that, we were like, I was like, okay, let's play. And they were like, no, that's dumb or something. So I was like, oh, <laughs> sad. But anyways, but yeah, that's. That is the total exhaustion of my uh, dragon knowledge, I guess. Yeah. So those two stories. Yeah. I, I don't have much either. I <laughs> guess I will say uh, I'll give them a thumbs up, you know, in general, uh, except for the Chinese dragons. They asked about Chinese dragons. I'll give them a thumbs down. Okay. Sure. Um, so this one's sort of aimed at me, I guess, but it's uh, given that money in politics is much lesser issue in Canada then in the U.S., why do the liberals almost always go for pro-corporate policies? Yeah, so I guess this is this is a big thing that the... So in about 2003, two, 2003, I think, or something like that, 2004, uh, Jean Chrétien... Yeah, 2003, it had to have been the latest. But uh, uh, Jean Chrétien, our prime minister, basically had like his legacy package of things to do kind of thing and one before he retired. And one of them was like, he changed the whole funding system so that it, you couldn't just basically give almost unlimited amounts of money to people. And uh, it, it's much more restrictive in Canada than it was. And then it kind of like got even more restrictive. You know, like in the United States, you can give something like $40,000 or $50,000 to the DNC and stuff, minimum. I mean, like maximum for just the DNC. And then you can give just thousands and thousands to all sorts of other things kind of thing. And then unlimited now, basically, because of Citizens United and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is pretty horrifying if you think about it. Like, there's just the scale of, like, the lobbying industry and the fact that, like, there's going to be billions of dollars spent on 
you know, either Trump or Biden kind of stuff, you know, I don't know. Yeah. That's just going to be already the Bloomberg thing where he just basically spent 200 million or whatever he did. Um, pretty scary, but yeah. And so, but I mean, that's scary in itself, but the basic fact is that like, like election spending is only a very small fraction or like factor in that kind of stuff, because you got to think that, okay, well, most of the newspapers are still privately owned, whatever, right? Like, and that's just like a, so even just in the media sphere, you know, you're getting all of the same media stuff as in the United States. And, you know, the banks still basically direct where most economic production goes and stuff, right? Like, the your most people work for a boss uh, who, uh, you know, for a wage on the market or whatever, right? Very small. So it's like, it's basically like people wake up every day in the system and there are certain ways to manage it, which let things kind of plot along. And, uh, you know, people are going to be heavily biased towards that continuing in a healthy manner in their, you know, mind kind of thing. Uh, no matter what, like, even if you banned money from politics, whatever, right? Like, so in the, in Quebec, they, I think they changed it so that the maximum you could give to a party was like a hundred dollars a year. And that was just because of how deep the corruption was there. And I mean, in the next election, uh, you know, it was the the anti-corruption party that won after that was inst- implemented was a conservative party, basically, like a more centrist slash conservative kind of party. So it's not even the, you know, just because they banned it, you know, doesn't mean, and not only that, but after they instituted the fundraising reforms federally, Harper, he, he just, he's great at, getting those $100, $200 donations from small business people. So, you know, it's just, it's the same kind of thing. So, yeah. Uh, but I think that I, that it is important because, uh, you know, you see Americans talk about this stuff endlessly about money and politics and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's true. And that is probably the reason why I say Trump law won, uh, you know, like if, if, uh, if the Republicans weren't allowed to spend a billion dollars on ads and stuff, maybe they wouldn't, you know, win. But it's not necessarily the case that you're going to fix that just by reducing the fundraising kind of thing. So I don't know. So, yeah. Okay. What's your favorite rom-com? Uh, hmm. You're not a big fan of them? Yeah, I'm trying to think of one that I've seen. I haven't seen one in a long time. Yeah. Tav's uh, not a big fan of them? Nah, nah. <laughs> Does 40-year-old virgin count? Yeah, that counts. Okay, I'll go with that. That's the one that comes to mind. It's funny. Sure. Um, I like About a Boy. I actually like Love Actually. Everyone hates it, but I think it's cute, so I don't care. Um, Yeah. And, uh, okay, moving on. Um, this one was a funny one too. I thought it says, to what extent do you guys think you are autistic? It seems like <laughs> a subjectivity coordinate with modernity. I am on that spectrum for what it's worth. It's a strange era to exist as humans. God's love to you. So, yeah. So I, uh, recently watched that show on Netflix about the, uh, like the autism dating thing. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it convinced me that autism is fake. Oh, it's fake. Yeah. Those people are so 
good at just all the stuff that you're supposed to be bad at when you're autistic and they're just basically nerds. That's my opinion. So, okay. Uh, that being said, I do think I have it. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fake, but you have it. That's good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's funny. I, as I said, I was listening to a lot of Matt Brunig, uh, his pod and stuff and he talks about it. He had a whole like episode about it. Yeah, day. I listened to that. I yeah. I did not know he was autistic, and I I was like talking to Tabs about. It. I was like, did you know Matt Brunig's like actually autistic, like for real, like not as a thing, like a joke? And he she was like, yeah, obviously. And I was like, oh, I don't know. All the all these people are supposed to, like it's supposed to be so obvious. I'm like, I don't know. It seems seems like a normal guy to me. It's funny because uh, uh, I had to do testing. I think for that. I don't. Again, it's one of those things where I don't know how you actually. It doesn't seem that like, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like super, I don't know. A lot of that psychology stuff, I don't really know how precise it is. You know, it doesn't sound that precise. I think the spectrum thing is also kind of a dodge in some ways because that's what you would say if you couldn't get specific about anything. So I don't know. But, uh, um, but you know, there are people that very obviously have certain characteristics, whatever, and serve their own categorization, I guess. But like... Uh, um, it's funny though, but because reading about that kind of stuff more, uh, I realize how OCD and uh, anxiety and stuff does create similar sorts of things in terms of tunneling of attention and, uh, you know, your incredible irritation at common things like textures or whatever and all that kind of stuff and certain sounds and stuff. So there are a lot of like similar things where, and, uh, because if you, and then the thing with that is then you go, okay, well, if that's true, then uh, you look for like what the similar coping mechanisms or responses, whatever are for that kind of thing, right? Like it's like, oh, they have those symptoms so I can borrow some of their ways of dealing with that kind of thing. And uh, that has been helpful for me a lot of ways. I don't know, just like letting myself do a lot of the things that normally I would, would not want to do because they didn't seem normal. Like, uh, I don't know, just in terms of organizing things, how I do and stuff in certain OCD ways and stuff. And, uh, just letting myself sort of go with it if it's not harmful. So, yeah. But cause that's the thing is that for anxiety stuff, most of the time they're trying to be like fight it in a lot of ways, right? Like you try to do exposure so you're not doing it. But it's like, well, yeah, but if it's if it's just something like how you pick out clothes or something, it's not that big of a deal, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the whole, like, thing of it being a spectrum and stuff is really weird to me, the way people talk about it, because it's like, it's a spectrum, but you are either on or off the spectrum. So it's, like, binary, but also, like, ha have this has this sliding scale thing. So, like, how does... I, I don't really get how that works. Like, what is the... What does the mild version look like if, like, how do you determine that someone's on that, but at like the very mild end of it? You know what I mean? I, that That's where it gets a little bit fuzzy for me. But yeah, clearly there are people that obviously something is going on there. I, I remember there was this kid when I was younger that uh, he was very easily overwhelmed by sounds and stuff like that. And he would like freak out in class if, if things kind of were like out of a very strict routine and things like that. And I remember one time he uh, got really upset about something like really minor, like people couldn't even tell what was exactly bothering him. Uh, but I drew this picture of like a like Hong Kong fooey or something and I, I gave it to him and he just instantly like calmed down and was just like looking at the picture and it like 
calm about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's obviously like something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When people talk about like the really mild things where people are like very high functioning and all that kind of stuff, like Matt was talking about like the stimming thing where he kind of like flaps his hands or whatever, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do any of that. And um, that, that kind of, yeah, like actually one of the things he was saying, like he didn't really believe this was like a real thing or whatever. And then he heard about that and that that really strongly correlates with people that have all these other certain personality traits and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And then that kind of was convincing to him that there was like something to it. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But then when people talk about like, I don't know there's just so much about my personality that I think you could say like, Oh, well that indicates this or, you know, you probably have this or that, like, you know, just the kind of things that I enjoy doing or, and stuff that I don't enjoy and all that kind of stuff, like what, what you're talking about, um, yeah. to some extent, like, I, I think you want to back away from just saying, like, sure. Oh yeah, I, I've got this or that. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about for myself. Sure. Like you ha- yeah, obviously yeah. have, um, different issues yeah but yeah so. yeah exactly so uh, yeah but uh, yeah. you know there's there's kind of like this thing that happens where people just like look something up on wikipedia like oh that's me that's me you know and i i don't know i i try to uh push back against that as much as possible because i think that's not helpful it ends up kind of uh becoming a way for people to like justify not working on themselves and stuff like kind of just stick mm-hmm. a label on their thing like sure. oh i have this that's why i can't you know, get better or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And I think that that I'm actually sort of lucky in some ways that I think that like, if I had been like, say if I had gone to a doctor for my problems at their like height kind of thing, uh, 20, like 30, well, 50 years earlier or something, I'd probably have been put in an institution or something. Right. Like that's just how they, where you belong, you sicko. (laughs) Yeah. But like, uh, uh, if it was like, well, you know, 10 or 15 earlier years earlier, I think that uh, they wouldn't have much going on. Maybe they'd be like, hey, you could try this new thing called Prozac or something, that kind of thing. You know, like it would be like maybe that level kind of thing. I'm not sure what they would do. Maybe like talk about your feelings therapy for a long time. But I do think that like if it was like much more recent, I, I, I could see them funneling like at least a percentage chance they would funnel me into something like that where they're like, oh, you have, you have this... Uh, um, ADHD or something like that or whatever, you know, like one of those ones where they, you know, funnel a lot of people into where, uh, it's more, as you said, like associated with some sort of structural thing in the brain almost, you know, like it's almost like that's the way you are because, uh, you're born that way basically instead of, uh, it being like depression or anxiety or something like that kind of thing. So, I mean, even at the moment that I was, I think that, you know, they sort of funneled me immediately into, uh, psychosis clinic kind of stuff, right? So it was like schizophrenia cases and stuff like that. And uh, I think that that was maybe, to some extent, maybe a fad around that period, maybe too a bit kind of thing, you know? Like anyone that has certain kind of symptoms that look this way. Uh, because the number of people in the last 20 years or so that have been put on uh, antipsychotics and stuff like that, just like huge. Because just an enormous number of people. And uh, I feel like if that's true, I mean, if that level of people all have this kind of psychotic uh, problems, then that is not a good sign in general. I don't know, like if it's actually true, but I I feel like it's probably more being prescribed to uh, deal with 
things like depression and stuff like that. So that's my, my kind of default thing now is just thinking that I just depressed and have anxiety because of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all about like, uh, no, you just want the, the person who, whatever, like to get to a place where they're just comfortable with themselves and they can have like a decent life, right? Like they can function in society and, uh, sometimes that kind of stuff is helpful and uh, there's plenty of times where it's really not and uh or or people kind of abuse it in in various ways Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i don't know i'm just glad we kind of have moved past that as a society and we're not you know jumping on any fads and ascribing disorders (laughs) and symptoms or whatever to to people and uh you know aggressively pushing experimental medical procedures on anybody Sure. Yeah, we've we've uh, matured out of that as a society. I think so. We're lucky. Um, so, uh, a related question um, to our last bit: Do you guys think the mods have completely won, or is there hope for a troll resurgence? Oh, there's always hope as long as there's mods. That I mean, they're there for a reason, right? And that's because they're scared. So, yeah. yeah. Did you see that the Facebook took down a huge number of uh, those like QAnon pages and all that stuff? Oh no, I didn't. That's, Anyways, because uh, so did Twitter, but like, uh, but the way that they did it though is they, they, they have it. It looks like what they have to do is uh, they try to do it in a way that like they kind of include a sort of section of left wing or radical or like far right, but not Trump or whatever. You know, like the Russian stuff or whatever and stuff, and or some of it, I guess, and. Uh, so that it looks like it's not just a total targeted thing. Like they say that they're going to take down QAnon stuff. Like they're not like making bones about that. They kind of just, you know, say that. But like they also are like, oh, we took down Crime Think, which I thought was so funny that they took down Crime <laughs> Think. And uh, um, it, it go, it's going down and some of those other like anarchist insurrection ones kind of thing. And, uh, and now the anarchists are just freaking out kind of thing because it's like, which I think is the best thing you could do for them. That's like, you know, like <laughs> taking down their web page is like the, that's what you want as an anarchist, I think, to some extent. Right. That's so. like when uh, you're running out of beer at a party and someone shows up with another keg and everyone's like, yay, party's <laughs> back on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but, you know, and they've they've deleted a bunch of uh, the big accounts on Twitter, I guess, and uh, including David Duke last week or the week before or something. And, um. And, oh man, uh, how are yeah, we going to get so, in touch with him to get him on the show? Yeah, exactly. So he does have a radio show actually, but yeah. Um, and yeah, so I thought that, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's funny because there is like a tightening because people are paying attention during the election kind of thing where they're tightening to sort of make themselves look good for uh, the people who, you know, like the sort of liberal intelligentsia kind of types who are like you know oh we need to crack down on all this fake election stuff because uh last time you guys blew it and we uh um you know the election got stolen or whatever and stuff like that so they're really really playing deep into that kind of stuff now right trying to make themselves look good so uh anyways that kind of annoys me but i don't know it's okay trump's gonna pull it off anyways i have faith in him (laughs) yeah I don't know, but it, it's funny because it is very, like, just extremely clear that, like, the ACLU is right on that kind of thing of where you can't you can't defend one side without defending the other for free speech kind of thing, right? Like, they're very obviously true to some extent what they were saying about a lot of that stuff, like, of 
you know, if you create a precedent for one thing, then it will very easily bleed into something else because it's not controlled by the people that you want and stuff. And I don't know. So that has been very, yeah. And I like uh, that when people get mad about that, like when someone like, I don't know, Glenn Greenwald or whatever kind of argues for that kind of thing and people get all mad at him about it. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you disagree with that, fine. But like, that's a reasonable argument. You know sure. what I mean? Like, how, how can you really get angry about that? Or Noam yeah. Chomsky does that kind of stuff too, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I tended for a long time to kind of buy the Canadian sort of compromise on it, which is that you're, you know, they, they sort of have ways of shutting down things that uh, if it's, if it's like hate of like a specific kind kind of thing, like targeting people and saying that they're uh, people, but I'm, I'm backing away from that, I think in some ways, because I'm like, I don't know, they, it's just, it's so obviously being, uh, you know, they, they, it's so obviously use that as sort of like the first step towards, um, I don't know. And also, you know, just because I also don't like the whole punching Nazis meme that kind of is out there. So it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit tiring. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of QAnon, just going back to that real quick. Um, whenever I see that, I always think in my head, um, Kanun, which is like the, uh, so in the, like the late Ottoman period, they started to codify their law. So like throughout the majority of the Ottoman empire, they didn't have codified laws. That only was like a process they began in like the last 150 years or so. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think I'm I'm thinking of this correctly. I could be wrong on this, but uh, when they started to do that, that was called like Kanun, like canon, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's K-A-N-U-N. And whenever I see QAnon, I sort of think of that, just because it kind of looks the same. Because it's equally true. They've got they've they've <laughs> yeah, got, exactly. they've, they've gathered all of the correct legal opinions in, in society and uh, right. are moving them forward. <laughs> so yeah, and yeah. and in in both cases, the problem was uh, putting it down like you know, writing it in stone, basically like putting sure. it down on paper. Yeah. Uh, you got to keep that stuff free and in the air circulating amongst the people. Um, I, I want to do a QAnon episode at one, one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of digging around and looking at the, like who's behind it. And I think I have a good idea about it. I think people who have researched this seriously have kind of come to some consensus on it. I think it's fairly well established. And uh, I won't spoil it, but I I think we have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we know who Q is. And um, there's also, like, a lot of uh, backing, like, in terms of certain right-wing, like, Christian identity, dominionist kind of groups that are associated with the people involved and definitely benefiting from it and kind of using it as a recruiting tool. So there's, like, a lot of interesting things to look at there. And it... Uh, I think we can tie it back to our, our buddy, Pelly. Yeah, yeah. So. That sounds good, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it has been one of the biggest disappointments of Trump's term that, you know, Hillary Clinton never went to jail. So it'd be nice to, yeah, like, definitely. get that. And maybe maybe he'll do it in the lame duck if he gets kicked out or whatever. So we'll see. Yeah, remember um, when everyone was freaking out about the wall? Like yeah. Like that was ever going to happen, you know? It's just amazing. People... People want to get worked up. It's just, you know, it, yeah. it used to annoy me, like people getting, like just getting all 
caught up in this kind of stuff. And then I realized like people want to do this. This isn't, uh, you know, you're not going to convince them, you know, through facts and logic, Ben Shapiro style, you know, you just kind of like, well, that's, that's their hobby. That's what they like to do. Yeah. They may not see it that way, but that's how it works. Yeah. Um, Matt Crispin Cushbaum made a good joke about this today too, where he said that like, if you compare QAnon to like the liberal stuff on the convention, they're like, one of them is about like cannibalistic pedophiles that are like trying to, you know, getting crushed by the real, you know, Trump people, whatever like that, you know, that's pretty exciting, like whatever. And then the Amer- the democratic equivalent that they're on offer is Biden writes his own speeches. Like that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the, that's like the, you know, and no one, you know, you have to be crazy to believe that, but like people were, there were so yeah, many posts. I was going to say, being, one of those yeah. is more true than the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, there were so many posts of people being like, oh, you know, he, he decided to say this or whatever, or like he, he came up with the speech of his life and it's like, he, he doesn't, you know, I don't even know if he could read a, a temple prompter. I feel like someone probably had to like read it in his ear and he had to like repeat it or something probably or something. So, I don't yeah. Know. I was, uh, Tabs and I were over at her parents' place the other day. Yeah. And, uh, or actually yesterday, and they were talking about the, the, uh, Democratic convention, that they had watched it, and that yeah, it was actually really good. It was better than ones in the past. And because it was like a virtual thing, it was sort of like more, uh, more of a show for the home viewer kind of a thing. Like it was kind mm-hmm. of geared more towards that. And that, um, in particular, her mom, who wasn't really super hot on Biden at all, uh, she was kind of leaning in the Bernie direction, I think, or or maybe Warren, maybe something like that, and then eventually decided to go with Biden. Uh, maybe she actually didn't vote for him in the primary. In any case, she was sort of like, well, I want to figure out what Biden is about, you know, and mm-hmm. she said she came away from it like feeling pretty, pretty uh, inspired about Joe Biden and really feeling good about it and stuff and that was a really depressing conversation. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I didn't watch it, so I don't know what she saw, but, uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that, that, you know, I'm, I I didn't make any kind of stink or anything about it. Sure. Sure. It's fun talking to her dad because he's super anti-Trump, like every kind of, yeah, yeah. I'm moving to Canada, all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of like feed him these little (laughs) things to get him going and just (laughs) sort of enjoy like how worked up he gets about it. Yeah. You're like, You've printed out photographs of him, of Trump, like with uh, Glenn Maxwell or whatever or something, you know, or whatever, like all the, you know what I mean? Like just showing him all your evidence for different things or whatever. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it was funny. It's one of those things though that it's the same kind of thing where you're like, well, you know, it's annoying for me, but like, do I really have to take someone's enjoyment away from it kind of thing too? Or like, do I have to fight the point or whatever? It's like not worth it really. You know? Oh yeah, I'm, like I'm you not going to argue with someone yeah. about that stuff. Yeah, I sure. really don't care. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, if if a small joy in someone's life is seeing that kind of thing, it's like, well, that's fine. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, or, or whatever. You know, Some, someone's opinion. I don't know. Someone's I don't know opinion. Any better. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I I read a bunch of like weirdo conspiracy blogs and stuff. That's where I get my news from. Am I really in a position to argue about anything with people? You know what I mean? So the next question is. Um, I enjoy your dialogues. Would you consider doing special unedited episodes every once in a while? Uh, yeah. So I thought this was kind of funny because our episodes are essentially like 99% unedited. Uh, yeah. we, we 
uh, we edit out like ums and stuff like that, you know, just to make it a little bit more fluid. 99% of what you get is unedited. So, yeah. Uh, and I would say also that, uh, you know, we do some of the episodes are a lot of effort does go into sort of the, the thought of what we're going to say specifically, like about, especially Tom on some of the Pizzagate episodes and stuff. But otherwise, a lot of the time it's, uh, we have a few ideas that we can kind of walk through. And uh, sometimes that's better, I think, because it gives you really what we're actually thinking at the time and kind of walking through the ideas and kind of bouncing it back and forth instead of turning it into a history podcast, basically, which, you know, like if we, if we did it uh, very much like structured, uh, you know, that has its place. I love a lot of them, but like uh, if it was over produced, over done, then it's like, well, we're not, we're not in that niche kind of thing. Right. So um, for a lot of it. So, but it is fun that, you know, we, that you guys do enjoy the dialogues then because that's, you know, you're getting pretty much the raw, footage there so yeah um but i mean to answer the question in a different way is uh you know i think that maybe the step beyond that would be streaming or something right like just doing it live and not preparing as much or maybe preparing but you know um and that really uh, requires video and i can't do video right now because uh it's not good enough connection and things like that so yeah even but, my connection isn't really good enough i tried twitch streaming a little bit of uh magic the gathering uh, a while back and mm -hmm. i had to like downgrade the quality to the point where i was not happy with how blur blurry it was looking my my audio came across fine but the the video was not really great so i don't know maybe, maybe we'll figure that out and uh, i'll do more of that or something you know just me for the time being since your mm -hmm. connection is pretty much for sure not going to work out but sure yeah well, if we push the Patreon enough, we might get to like, you know, 100000 a month or something. And then we get our own office in Chicago or something, right? At the top of the Willis Tower or something. And um, we could just, you know, broadcast there live every day or something, maybe. We'll see. Yeah, send us your money, people. Come on. Yeah. You want us to do special things for you. Cost yeah. money. Because uh, right now I have the can on string internet and that's not going to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, the next question is, is it possible we see the bifurcation of the world economy into American and Chinese spheres? Seems like we may be headed there with the restrictions on Chinese apps in Huawei. Uh, all the dick waving in South China Sea, Biden saying he'll revive TPP, etc. Did he say he's going to revive the TPP? I don't know. I, I, maybe, maybe I'm. I'm sure he's taking the free trade, pro free trade stance in this one to try to get pro business uh, moderates or something. You know, that thing and, dying was like the only good thing that's happened in like ten years, like yeah. politically. Yeah. So uh, I would say you know I did answer a bit of this earlier about the sort of my thought about China rising kind of stuff, although it's a different than it's still possible that like China could end up being sort of like the leading power behind a coalition kind of thing, right? Of like capital, basically. I could see that happening where, you know, like it might be that a lot of places in Africa or whatever, or Latin America might, you know, they might be part of a Chinese ecosystem in terms of the phones and all that might be from there. And then America might be 
with Europe or something, most of Europe might be its own kind of super zone or something with its own types of technology and stuff, but and maybe with Japan or whatever. I don't know. It's one of those things where, but I feel like one of these things is that it's almost always afterwards. I had this friend uh, who used to make fun of a lot of political economy stuff because it's so obvious in hindsight, most of this kind of stuff, right? Like that uh, it's, it's, it's really about the chances and contingent things that get you to that point. Like there could be, I mean, no one could have planned for the pandemic or something, right? Obviously. So I mean, well, except like, Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates. Who, but, who did. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's one of those things where there could be a war between two countries where, like a regional war, not like a global conflict or whatever, where it totally changes the character of, like something like the Britain leaving the EU. No one wrote about that. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, I know it's an undercurrent or something, but... you know there's constantly shocking reversals and different things that and people always think oh you know well that country couldn't coordinate with that other one because they're completely different or something and it's like well no because you know if they change their government style or something you know like you know then they could you know like if say if china had a coup of some kind internal to its leadership and then did like a kind of half-assed democratic reform thing it would be a completely different country in 20 years, 30 years, and you know, than now. So in a lot of ways, so I don't know. So, you know. Aren't like the American and Chinese economies so intertwined that it, you can't really divide them into like separate spheres. Like I, I feel like they're too codependent. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because people sort of point to the, like the trade, like the trade has been affected a lot by tariffs and that's true. And like the sort of, Supply chains are changing in some ways. But like if you're a Chinese elite or whatever, like, you know, if you're a richer person in China or whatever, you still most of them, a lot of them at least, want their kids going overseas for school, maybe, you know, like a good section of them. Uh, they want to, you know, a lot of them are middle class, even people are investing in real estate overseas. China owns an amount, like a huge amount of American debt, I think still, and right? So like... Uh, and in the reverse, like, you know, Walmart has all its oil, used to at least have a lot of Apple used to until recently, at the very least, like have all these suppliers there and all these, uh, and those are, those are not like, a lot of them are not, you know, the old days of, as we said, like the old days of them being the lowest level rung production is not true anymore, right? It's like, these are people making, uh, for their own economy and other economies, things like cars, appliances, uh, microchips and stuff, right? So it's not like, you know, I don't know. And there's also been a shift towards like services and stuff. So it's not like, it's not like China is just doing sweatshop stuff right now. You know, there is that there, but it's not like the, the thing that it, most of the trade is in terms of value is still stuff like, you know, Chinese made computer goods or something like that kind of stuff like that. So yeah, we'll see. Next question is, do you think that if the Muslim invaders of India were more competent at their jobs, you wouldn't have the problem of Hindu nationalism anymore? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think Hindu nationalism is sort of a byproduct of uh, British imperialism there in the sense that the idea of Hinduism as a like marker for identity, like a like a coherent block sort of a thing 
mm-hmm. kind of comes out of that experience. And I think that it sort of, I mean, it would have been something else, right? So like maybe it wouldn't have had the Hindu character would have had some other, like it could have just been Indian nationalism. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it didn't necessarily need to take on any religious aspect, but I, I think because it does, I think you can trace that back to, uh, to the way that the Brits handled that situation. Um, yeah. So, no. Um, I, 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 mean, yeah. I, I guess if the Muslim invaders just wiped out Hinduism. So, yeah. Actually, that's that's the question I was kind of wondering about, too, though, in some respects, is that I know there's this sort of... like, Is there explicit discussions or uh, theories in... Uh, Islamic theology around why other people are not Muslim yet, like explicitly. What do you mean by um, why they're not Muslim yet, exactly? The shifts back and forth in terms of numbers of believers in places or something like people, I mean, regions at least that were Islamic and then fell away from Islam. Um because uh, which was was the case in India, wasn't it? Like, wasn't, wasn't not not so not much really? to be honest. Um, and this is this is pretty common uh, wherever Islam has spread as a political, like when when it's taken power politically, it hasn't often it has sometimes, but it hasn't often meant like conversion of people inside the the territory to Islam in in any kind of direct way. Like there's sort of like a natural creep that occurs. You know, a lot of people point to the various like social privileges that you would gain by converting to islam and that has clearly been a thing but it's it's not it's not it's not similar to say like in europe where a king has a certain religion he gets taken out another king comes in in his place he is a different religion and so now all the people adopt that new king's religion like that that wasn't really how it worked with islam um Mm -hmm. And you need to kind of look at it on a case-by-case basis. So when we're talking about India, we're talking about the Mughals, and they came from Central Asia. They uh, didn't really get past northern India. They took northern India and, like, what's today Pakistan and Afghanistan, to some extent Afghanistan, and uh, they were never really, like, able to conquer southern India. So there were still a lot of non-Muslim kingdoms in the in the southern part of India, and there were plenty of non-Muslims inside the the Mughal territories. So, uh, and in fact, like famously, so if you if you think about um, Akbar, uh, he he's uh, most famous for his like kind of pluralism, and even to the extent that he he had like a very syncretic uh, idea about religion, like it was sort of like a mix of Islam and the, all the other various faiths that were floating around in India at the time. Sure, and we had talked before about the sort of culmination of time, sort of stuff, uh, and but we didn't really get into the end times sort of period. I don't think. Um, is there a sense that like eventually everyone, like in the existing world, like kind of culminates in conversion, or is it like uh, like is there some you know judgment day kind of stuff? But uh, is that like at you know what I mean? Are you? Do you get what I get? Or I mean, I'm saying. You, you mean, are you asking? Uh, do Muslims have some kind of belief, or is this is is there an idea like this floating around that people will eventually all convert to Islam? Yeah. No, not really. Um, okay. In fact, it's almost the other way. Yeah. There, there's a sense that 
the strength of the religion will kind of fade generation by generation. Yeah. And that people will, will kind of fall away from that. But it's a little bit, it's more complicated than that because Islam considers itself almost like a natural intuitive kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, you know, there are the specific teachings and practices that Muhammad brought. He came to convey these things and to help us along. He, he's called like the mercy to the world because of this. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between that and having kind of like a natural faith in God. And that's considered like a sound faith. Mm-hmm. You know, now if you're in like an, a Muslim society or something and you're preferring some sort of intuitive personal version of like your own kind of made up cosmology instead of like the established Islamic teachings that are like prevalent in your society. They're well understood. They're put into practice and you're like, no, I don't think that's right. I think what I came up with is, is right. That would be an issue. But if things are kind of messy, uh, then the, the kind of, that kind of natural faith, is considered like a good thing to have you know that that means you're like on the right track so it's not really uh it's not a clear-cut thing right because like if things are getting worse and worse over time if, if you look at it in terms of like the practices and like the the maintenance uh, the maintenance of like orthodox belief and all that kind of stuff um that's one thing but if you think about the fact that like you know, people just have a sort of a, like an intuition about what's right and what's wrong and what what's the truth and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not going to fade. You know, that's just how people are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a little bit complicated, I guess. Okay. So the next question is, are you going to listen to the new Drake album? Yeah. Have you ever listened to Drake? Yep. He's yeah, Canadian. I, I have to. Yeah. Right. I was, yeah, I guess so. I, I've never listened to a, a Drake album for sure, and I, I've heard Drake songs like just incidentally. I, I really don't go for that very much. Not, not a fan. Yeah, he's he's their prized musician that we. Uh, I don't know. Like you know, most days we kind of started off with listening to you know one song a day kind of thing, just to remind ourselves of. Uh, what we could achieve as individuals if we uh, model ourselves on him. And uh, so, I don't know, it's a, it's an important part of uh, Canadian identity. So, yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had a bit on Twitter for a, a bit that was like, Drake is the most dangerous person in Toronto. Yeah. Like, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and that like, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think he's uh, on that pizza stuff. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and then I reverse everything I said. Um, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, is jealousy the only reason people hate each other? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. I was, uh, when I saw this question, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting thing. And then I was like, well, no, sometimes someone murders your family and you hate them because they murdered your family, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You might just be a direct kind of victim, basically. Right. Sometimes someone, they stab yeah. you in the back in World War One. you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think that's that's probably the best way to put it. Um, 
Okay, so uh, all sexes rape under capitalism. Discuss. Um, yeah, I mean, I. Uh, it's funny because for a while, when you're like first reading this kind of stuff, and if you're like left wing and things like these kind of claims, like this, 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 this specific claim was popular with the Maoist internationalist movement, um, with MIM, which uh, pushed this idea based on. And, and because of like Dworkin and things like that, they kind of uh, adopted from them, uh, that uh, they made it so that, uh, well, I mean, some mouse groups just directly said that's why you can't be in a relationship if you're a member of the group. You just can't have any relations. And then they uh, changed it because they still had this, in MIM, they had this conclusion. They said, okay, yes, we agree that all sexes rape under capitalism. That was like their position. And then uh, they said, but because it's unrealistic for people to abide by that as a member, which uh, which already is a good logical step to just freeze on and be like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you think it's rape, but you're allowed to do it, kind of thing. I don't know. So that was a tough one um, for people to you gotta get over. Got to break a few eggs. Yeah, they said that you were required to be uh, serial monogamy. That was their rule that you could only be with one person at a time because uh, otherwise you would kind of disrupt the group, which in itself is kind of funny because it's like, obviously they couldn't say monogamy in terms of lifetime, right? Because that would be a far, you know, much more conservative position in theory, right? Because, you know, like people would have to be able to change the relationships and things like that. Right. So uh, like divorce, obviously. And, uh, so the problem was that that does not, you know, that having that rule, like making it so that you can change who you're with all the time, but only be with one person at a time in a small group of highly dedicated people, that does not work out. I mean, even if they were following it, like even theoretically kind of thing, uh, it would not be that great because uh, it would be like, I don't know, putting like 20 people of college age in a house and saying that they could only be like it would just it would just add insult to injury for adultery kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm. I mean that. You know, problem. So I don't know. So, anyways, it's a it's a funny sort of thing, but it's also something that really does come from serious problems in these groups, right? Like I mean, like I'm talking about like any sort of radical anarchist ML whatever thing is that because they tend to be younger people who are very passionate about things, kind of thing. You know, it's just constant accusations of harm and stuff right just yeah. and they have no capacity to like if they go to the police with it obviously the police will just use it to dismantle the organization a lot of the time that's just like their their strategy they just they let you know they would love it because it's just like a very easy way for them to get involved in terms of taking the names of all the members and and yeah uh, well okay don't all give that, away so. all my tricks don come on <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly so uh it's just a funny, you know, so you do kind of need parallel institutions where you can kind of handle it yourself, which people have not really come to terms with uh, in the left anyways, because immediately it's like, well, you're just running a kangaroo court, right? You're just running these uh, stupid little trials by yourselves and you have to kind of like have other members. There's no independence, obviously, right? Like if you're like a group that's maybe a thousand people nationwide, how are you going to hold a fair trial, right? So... Yeah, uh, I mean, if you, if you think of like jury selection in the United States and it's already pretty bad, 
I don't know, like <laughs> stuff like that. I kind of do like the idea of like a court that anytime anything like this comes up, it's like, did you have sex? Yes. Okay, well, that's rape. But let's figure out if it's first degree, yeah, second yeah, degree, yeah, yeah. third degree, fourth degree. Sure. You know, they have like a huge gradient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rape is a spectrum, you know? Sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, well, what ends up happening a lot of the time in actual third world uh, ones is uh, either exile or death pretty much, right? Like it's like, it's, uh, or just ignoring it or whatever, right? So like, I mean, if if something happens in, uh, you know, if you read things like Che Guevara or something like that kind of thing, they, they're always talking about like, oh, you got accused of stealing? Well, we have to kill you now because... Uh, <laughs> we don't want any, you know, possibility that the peasants don't trust us, whatever and stuff. And mm. I don't know. They also have a rule generally in these groups that I've talked about before, but you just can't leave, right? Like there, there's no deserting. So it's like if you join, you uh, are stuck with those specific people for the rest of your life, basically, until the, or the revolution wins or whatever, which I think is funny because I, I just can't imagine that rule being applied in any United States organization kind of thing, right? Like, I don't know. It'd be so funny that like if someone was like, okay, I'm a member of DSA now. They're like, okay, well, you know, blood in, blood out, whatever. <laughs> I think you can't, like, <laughs> you can't, uh, I don't know. So anyways. Yeah. I I know this is sort of like a, a very like uh standard sort of response to this idea, but I, I kind of think it, it really flattens things where like, I think rape is rape. You know, so if yeah. you say all sex is rape, it sort of undermines the idea of like of rape being like a crime and being a problem. Sure. And and that, you know, you can kind of see that now where people like when the whole Me Too thing was really popping off, like Harvey Weinstein was getting lumped in with people like who had like awkward dates and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, yeah. and I'm not saying like, you know, th- there's wrong that's done that's you know, it's relatively minor compared to like serial rape. You know what I mean? Sure. Like there's Bill Cosby's and then there's like Aziz Ansari or sure. whatever. You know yep. what I mean? So, yeah. So I, I think that if if you are genuinely like holding to this position, it kind of, yeah, it gets untenable really fast. Mm-hmm. The basic premise behind it, I I see the point that's being made there, but I just, I really don't think it's useful at all to kind of say like all sex is rape. I yep. think it's, you know the the real point there is is that the power relations that exist under capitalism exist in all facets of your social life sure. you know including sexual interactions yeah so okay that's true but like you know i i i think that's yeah that's just life it, you know yeah. like i, I it, it kind of comes down to this thing where it's like can't blame everything on capitalism like th- that uh and one thing Marcuse said once where it's like, not every problem with your boyfriend or girlfriend is related to the mode of production or mm-hmm. something like that. It's like, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I think sometimes people sort of get away from the idea of like, this is a political problem that needs a political solution. And then they just kind of turn that into like their whole thing. And it's like every problem that exists in the entire world is because of this thing issue that you have a political beef with mm-hmm. and therefore your solution to that will just solve every single problem sure. that ever exists you know yeah. that that's really silly well anytime that there's this shift from like a particular institution or ab- aspect of society being turned into uh you know like an ontological 
thing where it's like anything that's associated with this is just toxic all the way down and can't be redeemed. I don't know. Uh, I feel like that move tends to, it tends to be very, very satisfying maybe for a short period of time, but like actual real world relevance, uh, relevance. Like I think like the abolish the police stuff gets into that direction where people are like, uh, you know, a lot of the time where it's like, uh, they're trying to prove that the stuff about, you know, the, that it's just slave, uh, patrols for the modern day or something and stuff. And you, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, but maybe not in like, I don't know, Japan or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, it's not like the same everywhere. It's not like, you don't know. And if it is, I mean, the, the problem is not the, the solution. I mean, it's not like a necessarily the same. It's not, it's not necessarily just negating it in terms of, uh, ideology. It's much more complex than that. So, yeah. Right. Like if you get the uh, the social workers and, and stuff in place and then doesn't the issue then become like social workers are the slave patrols of, yeah. of you know, the 21st sure. century or exactly. whatever. So um, anyway, so I thought that maybe that's probably a good place to wrap up for the week. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was fun. So uh, yeah, we'll be uh, lining up some guests for... Uh, um, you know, the next coming month, whatever, but like, uh, um, it's fun to sometimes just, you know, run through the questions with you. So, yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to see what the listeners are thinking and what they want to hear from us. And, uh, we certainly have some exciting guests, uh, kind of brewing up, just, uh, trying to get things lined up and everything. Sure. So s- stay tuned. Okay. Thanks guys. Yeah, thanks for listening. So, if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like a second episode every week, you can subscribe to our Patreon and you'll get access to that, as well as access to our Discord where you can chat with us in our community. And once again, if you would like to send in questions that we can answer on the episodes, you can do that at the Curious Cat. And the, uh, the address for that is pinned to the podcast Twitter account. So, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week.